Hello and welcome back to Ways to Flourish podcasts, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate the voices across William and Mary's campus. This morning, I've got Nancy Mal. She's one of our certified family nurse practitioners here at William and Mary. Hi, good morning. I'm glad to be here. And thank you for being here. We also have Elise Zimmerman. She's a senior majoring in bio. Hi. <laughs> and today's topic is actually HPV and the Gardasil 9 vaccine. So we've got a, a fantastic informed student and a wonderful nurse practitioner who's part of the, the Wellness Center staff here. And so let's just dive right into it. We hear about all these things currently uh, in our community right now. Most of the focus seems to be on COVID-19, but let's talk about something that's been around for some time now, HPV. What is HPV? So HPV stands for the human papillomavirus. It's a very common virus that affects both males and females. There are over 100 types, and um, only about 40 of those types are related to uh, sexually transmitted infection. Um, it may lead to certain HPV-related cancers and diseases in males and females. And of those 40 types, um, there are two low-risk types that um, cause about 90% of genital wart infections that we see on examination. And then there are about seven types that are high risk that cause 90% of all cervical cancers. So when someone has a pap smear and it comes back abnormal, um, you know, the probability of it being due to an HPV exposure is um, rather high and can be broken down more specifically with further testing. Um, and about 90 to 95% of all HPV-related anal cancers are due to these seven high-risk types. Wow. And so it doesn't matter what your sex or gender is, um, how is it spread? So here's a question. If I have a wart on my hand or my knee or my foot, can that be spread to somebody sexually? That is a different type of HPV, okay. but it is a okay. type of HPV. It's just not a sexually transmissible, transmissible um, type. So, so how is it spread? So the spread is really through exposure that can happen with any kind of sexual experimentation um, that involves genital contact. So it's really skin-to-skin -skin contact, so mucous membranes against mucous membranes uh, involving the genital area. So someone having intercourse... Um, um, it, or having intercourse is not necessary to transmit HPV, uh, which is the most common way that it is spread, but you can get it just through skin-to-skin -skin contact. And uh, just briefly, what is the history of like HPV as far as the college health piece goes? So HPV, well, the vaccine that came out in 2006, uh, which was the first Gardasil that only protected against four types of okay. HPV, and those were um, sexually transmitted types, um, was available here at Student Health, um, and our college health plan, United Healthcare, uh, was covering it at that time. So we've always been proactive and, and, you know, done education and tried to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And since it was free with student insurance, um, that was very helpful. Um, but we didn't have a mechanism at Student Health to charge um, people with private insurance um, to be able to administer the vaccine. So each dose was about $230, so oh it was goodness. expensive. So we could offer it to those students, but they had to pay up front and then 
process their own paperwork for reimbursement. So it was a bit of a um, a hassle uh, for privately insured students, but we would just send them to the local retail pharmacy as an option uh, to be vaccinated. And um, so we have been working with it for a long time. And of course, we've been seeing abnormal pap smears in the screening, cervical screening that we do here um, way, way before 2006. Okay. And Nancy, <laughs> you said each dose. Are you saying there's more than one dose for this vaccine? Yes, yeah, so the dosing, depending on your age, um, because the target population is to get the vaccine um, age 11 to 12, okay. um, so our middle school um, <clears throat> group, and so a lot of parent education needs to happen to you know, have parents agree to um, have their kids vaccinated, and um, that's been a whole um, challenging process in itself because it sort of sends the connotation that, oh, my child, is, if I agree to this, I'm admitting that my child could be having sex, mm. you know, at a, a very young age. Um, so just some myths to dispel um, surrounding that. Yes, yeah, so if you are between, if you're under 15, there are two doses, and they're spaced six months apart. And if you're over 15, then it's, um, and it's initiated, it's three doses. It's initially two months after the first, and then at six months or four months after the second. So okay. two or three dose um, administration. Now, based on the ages that you mentioned, um, and considering the, the population of our students from what we might consider to be traditional to our non-traditional age students, uh, are there students theoretically on campus who would be ineligible for the, the vaccine? Uh, there, there really aren't any, unless you had a very um, strong uh, allergy to yeast, there really isn't any contraindication to getting the vaccine. Um, and it is considered to be as safe as any other vaccine. It's just not a required vaccine to mm. come to college. Um, so there hasn't been quite as much emphasis on um, getting it uh, for that reason. And speaking of the campus, what do our rates look like as far as William & Mary goes? So the rates um, back in, uh, I believe it was 2018, we started looking at our own internal um, data because okay. we added some questions to the ACHA survey that is uh, administered to students. Um, because prior to that, in about 2016, um, Johns Hopkins had published data that suggested that only about 40% um, of um, Males had been vaccinated, and um, maybe or actually 40% of females had been vaccinated between the ages of 13 and 17, and less than that for males. And so uh, we realized that the generalized um, numbers weren't great, and we needed to get more vaccine vaccines in arms. So we wanted to look at our specific data. And so um, 2018 and then again in 2020, the survey uh, was asking more specific questions since it's not a required vaccine. And the, the data showed that about 20% of undergrads um, didn't know their HPV status. About 63% um, had completed the full series. And uh, for our graduate students, about 46% um, were fully vaccinated, and about 33% had not started the series yet. So clearly our grad student population, you know, was maybe needing some more emphasis on awareness. Um, but in general, um, our numbers, um, you know, were needed some work. So clearly there are more people who are eligible for the vaccine than who are actually vaccinated. Correct. Okay.
Okay. Now, if if the warts on my hand or my feet or my knee are not the same, uh, and I know they're not that bothersome, what makes HPV so so dangerous or, or such a worry for us from a health standpoint? Well, the fact that it can lead to cancer of the anus, the head, the neck, the penis, the throat, the vagina, the vulva, and can develop very slowly, and um, one doesn't even necessarily know that they have it because they may never have any symptoms, and our screening tests um, are not um, available for oral uh, cancer mm, detection mm. at all. And uh, we do have pap smears uh, for cervical cancer screening, which are um, very helpful. But in men, we don't really have any way to test for HPV. So that's, that's really um, why it's dangerous is because you could have it, be carrying it, expose someone and not know it. And so among college students, why is it so, why is it so common? Why is it so pervasive? Uh, well, I mean, it's just a really common STI. And so if you have almost 40% of the undergrad population that's not vaccinated, it's like bound to be in the population. People are hooking up, people are kissing, people are sharing drinks. Any, any of mm. those like very normal college activities with a vaccine that's not hasn't reached a really herd immunity threshold in the population, it's it's definitely gonna gonna be here. I think too um, the fact that you know just anecdotally and doing sexual histories uh, with students, uh, we always ask about use of barrier protection, whether it be condoms mm, consistently mm. or dental dams for um, you know receiving um, sex to the genitals um, from an oral uh, source. That um, you know that's a problem, and so. Uh, you know, being vaccinated is prevention, using barrier protection, and, um, you know, all those things are uh, what we're, we're trying to increase awareness about and, and uh, approve upon. Now, Lisa, in speaking with your peers, do you think they had the sex education, K through 12, that, that covered things like this? Uh, definitely not. Most people definitely didn't. Um, I have kind of a split on my friends. A lot of my friends are like, oh, yeah, my parents got me all my vaccines, I definitely have it. And other people are like, I didn't, never even heard of that. I mm. don't know that's a thing. Um, and some people just truly have no idea if they ever got it or not. Um, <clears throat> so I think like a lot of college sex health, which I've found, is just like playing catch up with people and, you know, meeting people where they are. And, you know, hopefully with this and our campaign, we can just like spread awareness a little more and have people checking in on their status and, catching up with the vaccine if they need to. I think we also have some catching up with our um, male um, population because uh, even though the, the Gardasil um, first was introduced in 2006 and we were readily giving it and um, uh, our um, uh, FDA approval in males didn't happen into, until 2014. Mm. So, um, you know, there was a stretch where women were getting vaccinated and men were not, and the education wasn't really going out to, um, to men as much either. And I think if you were maybe a student athlete and you were getting regular physicals in, in high school, middle school and high school, perhaps there was a conversation um, to, um, you know, males and females uh, more readily, but um, probably less to men. So 
Which is upsetting because if you think about the the incipient stages of Gardasil, they were using it on on cis male patients back in in Australia, Scotland, Germany. They were so far ahead of the of the curve as far as that went. So uh, I'm glad to see that more men, trans people, and intersex identified people are are turning to Gardasil nine now. Now, um, Elise, I just want to know from your standpoint because I know that you, Nancy, and I are actually involved in a campaign um, and some information that we're trying to get out there. What are we doing at Women Mary to, to spread the word instead of spreading the virus? <laughs> um, we're just, it's a lot of more kind of passive information campaigns. We have posters all around campus um, in the really high traffic areas um, that hopefully people are seeing as they walk in and out of Sadler and Swam and Marketplace. Um, we just got these really fun buttons um, that say HPV nerd on them that I'm going to be distributing to a bunch of health educators on campus. So Hope Health Outreach Peer Educators, The Haven, Someone You Know, Wellness Ambassadors, training them on what HPV is, what the vaccine is, how to get it, um, and then giving them these really cute little buttons to put on their backpacks and such. Um, so that hopefully people also will ask them about the vaccine and we'll have, you know, a lot more people on campus who know what they're talking about and are able to distribute this information to their friends. Now, Lisa, I know you've, you've said publicly that you're, you've ha- you had the vaccine when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, what was that like for you as far as having, was that a conversation you had? Was it, uh, what was the experience like or how confident do you feel now knowing that you've, you've got it? Yeah, honestly, I it wasn't a very memorable experience. I don't really remember it. My mom was a public health professional, so I got all of my shots when I was supposed to get them. It was never, I mean, I heard about it. Like, this is the shot. You have to get it twice. Okay, kind of hurt. Like a flu shot. I got it in middle school, and that was it out of my mind. Um, but, I mean learning all of this stuff like later in life like I'm so glad that I have it and that I got it you know before I started having any sexual contact and that I like feel very protected and that like even at any point in your life just to get it and have the like peace of mind like oh this can be really bad this causes like a lot of cancer like I don't want cancer in 30 years mm. because like I didn't get a shot that hurt my arm for a day like obviously nobody likes getting shots but I think the reward is really high like cost-benefit ratio there. Yeah. So what are some of the ways, this is to both of you, that college students can reduce or eliminate their risk of acquiring HPV? So safe sex, you know, limiting partners, um, mutual monogamous relationships, um, always using condoms, dental dams, getting vaccinated, um, and, you know, being uh, aware of the cervical cancer screening guidelines for women and getting educated about that, uh, which really uh, recommend that the first pap smear should happen at age 21. And if it's negative and normal, then it's every three years between the ages of 21 and 29. And then starting at age 30, we do an extra HPV typing test at the time of the um, annual exam and uh, along with the pap. And then if both of those are negative, then you actually can move to every five years for testing. because the incidence of HPV sort of, you know, does um, dwindle a bit, um, you know, as you get mm. older. Um, 
But the vaccine back in 2018 actually became uh, FDA approved for, they extended the age from um, 9 to 26, and then it extended from 27 to 45. So it becomes a shared decision between the provider and um, the individual over 26, whether or not, you know, the sexual history would warrant um, getting vaccinated or not in, in many cases. It does. And so if someone did want to get tested, um, uh, where can they go for, for testing? So I think it's important to realize that traditional STI screening testing will never pick up HPV because the, the usual four tests that are done um, traditionally are going to be chlamydia, gonorrhea, um, HIV, and syphilis. So... Um, you know, again, we have no way to test men and women, it's the pap smear. So through an STI screen, you're not picking up HPV. So that's a myth that um, I think is, is out there and needs to be dispelled. Um, and, you know, I think if, if someone is concerned about a lump, a bump or something that, you know, seems abnormal um, externally in their um, genitalia to have someone come, you know, have them come in to have that looked at and inspected. Um, there are ways that we can get a pretty good idea mm. of whether or not to confirm that that is HPV related um, and classified as a genital wart. And then we can treat those uh, sometimes with creams, sometimes with a solution, sometimes freezing them. And so, uh, you know, there are ways to treat the infection. <clears throat> and where can somebody go for the sh- for the shot for the vaccine? How do they do that? So the vaccine is, uh, as I said, it's available at Student Health for free for anyone that has our United Health Student Health Insurance plan. Uh, students that have private insurance are welcome to come to the health center, but realizing that they would have to pay for the vaccine up front, which is, I believe, still about two hundred thirty dollars okay. a dose. And then um, they could apply for reimbursement. But the easier thing for them to do is to really go to a retail pharmacy, double check with their insurance company first to make sure that it does cover HPV, which almost all do now, and then um, make sure that, um, you know, they're able to to get it uh, that way or when they're home on a break uh, to see their provider and um, get it there. Now, if someone has already started their vaccine process earlier, or they're not sure, what's the recommendation for a student in that situation? That's a great question, because we sometimes see students that on their incoming immunization record have documentation that they may have had their first dose when they were 16, and now they're here as a you know 19-year-old. And oops, what happened to number two and three? Um, The guidelines uh, recommend that you don't start over. You don't start the series over and go back and pick up one again and then do two and three as advised. But in fact, you just pick up with dose number two, even if there's been an extended interval in between the first and the second dose or the second and the third dose. Um, So we do um, pick up on uh, dropped schedules from students' history. And sometimes students, it's not on their incoming immunization form. They don't remember. So I often will um, ask a student to check with their pediatrician because that's who they would have been seen at the time when it would have been discussed or given and just to make sure that they know the dates. 
Fantastic. Well, before I close out, I just want to offer you both the opportunity. Any final words from either one of you? At least anything you'd like to share with your your peers and colleagues out there? Um, you know, cancer's a lot more inconvenient than a sore arm. I get it. It's like annoying. Like it's annoying, but like it's worth it. Everybody's getting it. Like you don't want to be the person where you have a partner and they're like, oh my God, you're not vaccinated. And then mm. it's a thing. Just like do it now and then you can have peace of mind and you can give your partners peace of mind too. Wow. Nancy, any last words from you? I would just say, you know, look for um, all of the educational awareness um, efforts that we're making here at the college to um, uh, educate our population and um, encourage you to be vaccinated. If you haven't been, spread the news, uh, have conversations with your partners asking them if they've been vaccinated before you make decisions about how you're going to proceed with your sexual relationship and cannot stress enough the importance of barrier protection and what a big role that plays in prevention. Mm. Um, not always fashionable to pull out a dental dam, although they do come in different flavors. And um, But, uh, yeah, or perhaps uh, the same is true with, with condoms, not always uh, your favorite thing, but it does make a difference. And we can certainly eroticize those that make them more appealing to us and our partners. Well, I want to thank both of you. Elise Zimmerman, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And Nancy Mal, nice to see a colleague in the, uh, in the recording studio. Really appreciate the collaboration with Health Promotion, Eric. Thanks so much. We are loving this. Glad to be helping out there. I also would like to thank our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Lindsay Heck, Colin Cross... Jenny Hellmandaller, Ben Heath, Daria Moody, and myself, Eric Garrison. <laughs>